Hello, everybody. This is Father Tom Provenzano welcoming you to another episode of the Axe Podcast. It is Ash Wednesday, and we're going to go over a little bit about what Ash Wednesday, what it's about, where it came from, and uh, again, maybe you know, fill out some of the you know missing pieces of uh, you know Lenten practice and what Lent is all about and what it all means. And uh, before we get to all that, we'll get to this. Our Hail Mary, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, help of Christians, pray for us. So I just wanted to uh, just put a quick episode up uh, today uh, for Ash Wednesday, and just kind of as a way of uh, encouragement for everyone. Today is the beginning of Lent, and you know, maybe fill in a few of the uh, blank spots that I left uh, from the last episode and talk maybe a little more specifically about the significance of this day. You know, the, the traditions, for instance, surrounding Christmas uh, that the Catholic Church observes actually were rather late in developing. Uh, Christmas was not really looked on as, you know, the most important or, you know, the most central of holidays. Uh, you, you know, you might be surprised that in, in many instances, uh, Epiphany was probably even considered a, a more important feast. But uh, it seems like from really the very origins of the Church, one way or the other, the observance of our, our Lord's resurrection, what we call Easter, and this period of preparation beforehand were very important and very central. And, you know, in some places maybe, you know, you, you would have, you know, a, a few weeks or a few days, or maybe it was just Holy Week, or maybe it was just what we would call today the Triduum in some places. I'm not talking about in the first, let's say, two centuries, okay, two or three centuries. Uh, you know, in some places, uh, you know, really Good Friday was the day that was really celebrated as as the central day, not not even the um, the day of resurrection, but kind of the whole paschal uh, paschal mystery was sort of celebrated on that day because it kind of, if you look at especially John uh, the evangelist John's uh, theology, uh, you know, the, the word sacrifice on the on the cross was was central to everything. Everything was flowing to that, and all the graces. Uh, of our Lord flowed out of that, and you know even the resurrection itself, uh, you know happened as a result of our Lord uh, going to the cross and uh, redeeming the world uh, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and you know over time, this uh, period before Easter became more especially dedicated to the training of catechumens, uh, those who would be adults who would be uh, brought into the church uh, at Easter. And again, if you go back to the very, very earliest centuries, there seems to be evidence that uh, baptisms weren't necessarily only done uh, at Easter. Uh, the, the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, uh, you know, some days around, again, some of the feasts around Christmas, uh, you know, seem to uh, be days when baptisms uh, happened. But again, certainly by the third or fourth century, 
the practice of you know baptizing at the, what we would call today the Easter Vigil, the practice of taking you know these forty days before uh, Easter and using them as a time of preparation uh, and maybe more intense preparation uh, had had settled in and had become you know almost a universal you know practice within. The church, and again, I'm not going to go into maybe as time goes on, we'll go into the controversies over Easter and when when we, you know, but when the Easter is celebrated, that's really not going to be, you know, quite so important for us right now. But uh, you know, the the forty days of Lent are meant, I think, believe as I as I did mention the last time, are meant to imitate our Lord's forty days in the desert. After he is baptized, he goes into the desert. Uh, you know, Luke. Uh, tells us that the Spirit kind of impels him to go into the desert, where he experiences this this period of fasting and of you know being tempted. And again, we'll talk more about the temptation of the Lord uh, when we, you know on the weekend when we get closer to the first Sunday of of Lent. But the idea here is that that during these forty days, for those catechumens, for those who are preparing themselves for entrance into the church. It, it's sort of like a, a spiritual boot camp. It's a a time of of special uh, and maybe more intense uh, preparation. And in our modern days, uh, we still hold on to this. And so we've had we have catechumens, for instance, in our parish. We have several that are receiving confirmation. In some uh, first communion and confirmation, we have five who are getting the full initiation into the church on Easter Sunday, and those who are going to receive full uh, initiation, meaning uh, baptism, confirmation, and uh, communion on the Easter vigil, they're going to be going down to the cathedral this Sunday, uh, and our pastor is going to be accompanying them with the uh, the deacon who's been their main catechist, and they're going to go down to St. Patrick's Cathedral, and uh, Cardinal Dolan is going to uh, oversee a ceremony we call the the rite of election, where uh, their names are called, they're brought up, they're given a special blessing, and their name is literally written in what we call the the book of the elect. And uh, they are formally now catechumens who are you know on that journey to Easter and to their baptism. So yes, 40 days of special preparation for the receiving of the sacraments. Now, for those of us who are already baptized, what you're going to notice is if you go to the Easter Vigil, along with the baptisms that may be happening in your parish, all the, those present are asked to renew their baptismal commitment. And the same happens on Easter Sunday itself we are all asked to renew our baptismal commitment to make to to make those to we we recite the creed but in the form of questions just like uh, our god our parents and godparents did for us on the day of our baptism so again we will be asked do we believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth of everything seen and unseen and we will say yes yes i do and uh, as well as before that, being asked to renounce uh, Satan and and sin. And so, in a way, we too 
are able to participate in this. We too are able to share in this journey in the desert. For us, it's a time who are baptized. It is a time of renewal. It is a time of conversion. It is a time of going into the desert with the Lord and allowing ourselves to be purified and to be renewed so that when we come out the other side, we can really make that renewal of baptism uh, and our baptismal vows with, uh, with integrity and with a kind of renewed dedication and zeal. Now, what you're going to notice is that the Sundays of Lent do not count as days of penance. They, you know, we say they don't really count as days of Lent in, in that sense, even though I, I'm not sure that's really the right way to put it. I've seen it put that way, and I don't know if that's completely correct, because they really are days of Lent. We don't sing the Gloria, for instance. We do make changes in the Mass liturgy. Uh, you know, but I, I, and, but I think we always have to, what we always have to keep in mind about Sundays is that whether it's the Lenten season or not, they're all days of celebrating the resurrection. They're all little Easter's and, and days of celebrating our Lord's resurrection. And uh, so while I, yeah, I, I don't feel comfortable saying they're not days of Lent, I mean, they are, but they're not days of, of penance. Okay, so, and I said this to the kids, I think I took a risk saying this to the kids the other night at Religious Ed. If we've given up something for Lent, if we've given up, uh, you know, if we've given up adult beverages, or if we've given up candy or sweets, or whatever it is that we've kind of given up as our Lenten penance, we could uh, indulge in those things on Sunday, and we will, would not have you know, broken our Lenten promise. Now, what I, I always make the proviso there that if you think that going off your Lenten practice on uh, Sunday is going to make it more difficult for you to get back on the wagon on Monday, then I would say just, just skip it on Sunday as well. Okay, skip it on Sunday as well. Uh, you know, it's better to, to keep, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I think it's better to, to keep the momentum going. Okay. Now, yes, you, you can relax in other ways. Maybe you can, you know, indulge yourself in, in other, you know, again, if you've maybe been fasting really, really strictly, you know, maybe you could take that as a, you know, an opportunity to maybe, uh, ease up on the fasting a little bit. Uh, but if you've got a particular practice and, you feel like you're not going to get back on the horse again on Monday. It's better just to keep the practice up. If you feel like you can, okay, okay, then you know we have the the freedom of the sons and daughters of God, and we should take advantage of that. But uh, so so know that that Sundays are not counted as days of penance, and so this is what necessitates us taking these few extra days before the first Sunday of Advent. Okay, these Ash Wednesday, the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday after Ash Wednesday are sometimes referred to as the porch of Lent. These were days added, these are four days added to sort of make up for the fact that those other, those Sundays don't count as days of penance. So when we take the 
these four days, Ash Wednesday, and then the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday after, and put them together with the weekdays and Saturdays of Lent, and then we have the 40 days. So Lent begins today, Ash Wednesday, and it technically ends on Holy Thursday. And the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday kind of are their own unit. We call them, we call that the Easter Triduum. And again, we'll, we'll talk about the Easter Triduum in more detail as we get closer and kind of progress our way through Lent. So Ash Wednesday today is a day traditionally when we, we begin the Lenten season with a fast. And fasting is obligatory for all Catholics 18, between the years of uh, 18 years old and 59. Uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. When I was a kid, I fasted. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know about those rules about you know ages and when they began. I don't know when my you know at what age my mother you know and 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 father had me begin you know observing the fast or not. But certainly, you know, I was younger than eighteen. Let's put it that way. Um, and I think if you physically can, even if you are underage, or even if you're overage, if you're in your, you know, a mature citizen, and, you know, in your 60s and 70s, if, you know, you fast as you can, and as your health allows, uh, and then we are asked to abstain from meat, and the abstinence from meat is for those 14 years and older, and there is no cap on that, uh, there is no, you know, end date for abstinence from meat. And a reminder, you know, here in the United States, uh, meat really means any, you know, the flesh of any, you know, mammal, any animal that walks the earth on uh, four legs, and uh, poultry and, and chicken. You know, fish, generally fish protein, we do not, and, and shellfish, we, we do not uh, count as meat. Our uh, Orthodox brothers and sisters have a much, much stricter definition. Uh, they, they really do what we would call a vegan uh, Lent. Uh, they don't eat any, uh, any meat, really any, any you know, animal protein. I believe fish is, inclu is included in the prohibition. And even any uh, uh, meat products, so dairy, uh, eggs, you know, mayonnaise, any of that stuff, you know, condiments that would involve uh, uh, any type of animal product or dairy product would be excluded. Uh, you know, we as Catholics, we have it in some ways much much easier because uh, we again we do have that that protein uh, through uh, fish and, and shellfish that's uh, that's permitted. But we always have to again remind ourselves that. The purpose of the of the fast is to empty ourselves, so that we, uh, you know, deny ourselves a little bit, so that we can fill ourselves up with the Lord, and to really come to understand what do we really need that we allow ourselves. Fasting in some ways helps to to discipline our bodies, to discipline our our passions. Quite quite frankly, to kind of keep those things in check, and 
they're also meant to simplify our life. And so the idea is that during Lent, and I, I would say not just on, on the Fridays of Lent, but really we should be mindful of this, I would argue, every day during Lent, to just eat more simply and to maybe take the money we save, uh, let's say from not going to Starbucks a, a particular day or you know, not going to a fast food place a particular day, uh, maybe brown bagging it you know, instead of... Uh, you know, going out uh, for lunch, uh, taking that money that we save and and sharing it with the poor, and you know some some charity that 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 uh, you know we want to help out during this particular time. You know the 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 whole point of you know the the fasting, the almsgiving and the praying that we're called to do during this season is to kind of focus the attention off of ourselves and then on to others, onto God and to our neighbor. And so we shouldn't really look at these things you know, very lightly. I think the, the problem we have sometimes as Catholics, because you know the, the, the Western Church, the Western Catholic Church, is, is very caught up in rules and regulations and laws. And as any good canon lawyer will tell you, and I am not a canon lawyer, I don't claim to be <laughs> a good one or a bad one, but, I, but any good canon lawyer that I've known you know, will tell you that it's not just about following the rules for the sake of following the rules. All those rules have a theological basis to them. Uh, they've been you know, prayed over and thought about and formulated in a way to help us live out the gospel in a more faithful way. And it's, it's so with, the, with, the, with, the, uh, with these laws on, on almsgiving, on prayer, and on fasting. And what I would say is don't get so caught up in the minutia. You know, we get so many questions about what constitutes the breaking of the fast, or what constitutes, you know, not eating meat or eating meat. What, what, you know, what's meat and what's not meat. What's allowed, what's not allowed. You know, obviously, we need to inform ourselves on those things and understand those things. Uh, you know, but the point is, is am I living more simply? Am I emptying myself so that I may live more for Christ and have Christ fill me up? And, you know, am I paying less attention to myself and the satisfaction of my own, you know, bodily needs and desires? And am I looking outward to the needs of others? You know, that's really what, what, these, what these rules are meant to call us to. And so, yes, fasting is uh, defined as not eating. <laughs> you know, we're allowed water uh, and we're allowed, and again, I stress this, allowed one meal uh, during the day or, you know, at dinner. And then as needed, if we need to, you know, eat something at another time of the day, we're allowed two opportunities, if you will, to grab something else. But we're talking about something that constitutes a snack, really. We're not talking about two other full meals, or even, I would even argue, not even half meals. Because the idea is that the, the two, if, if we do choose to, you know, we do feel the necessity 
to take those two other opportunities to eat, uh, the, the two together should not equal one meal. Okay, again, we're talking about something very simple that's just meant to kind of sustain you uh, if you're feeling, you know, if you're feeling lightheaded, if you're feeling a little dizzy, if you think that, I would even argue, not, not even if the hunger pains are bad, I, I would even argue, I'm not sure that's enough of an excuse by itself. You know, there has to be real some health reason why you would need to, you know, you're afraid you're going to, you know, faint behind, you know, behind the wheel of your car. Well, obviously, grab something to eat, okay, but try to keep it simple. And obviously, I also continue with the proviso that if you're a diabetic, if you're anemic, if you, you're sick, you know, if you have some type of chronic illness, if, if there is some other condition that keeps you from fasting, well, then don't fast. <laughs> or fast as you can. You know, I consult your doctor on this, on what you know, the, the best way to, you know, live this, uh, practice out is. Uh, there's always been an understanding that I would say someone like myself who mainly, you know, works in an office and, you know, my, my job is, is mostly mental. You know, I'm not digging ditches. I'm not out, uh, in the fields, I'm not uh, working any type of heavy labor, all right? So it's easier for me to be able, you know, to not eat because I'm, I'm simply not expending the calories. But a person who is working a construction site, you know, farming, I know it's, it's March, I don't know how much farming is, at least here in the Northeast, is going on. But, you know, if, you know, if you're working out in the fields, if you're doing any type of really heavy labor, well, okay, fasting is going to mean something different <laughs> to you, okay? Uh, you know, what a, what a full meal constitutes might be something different for you, or what constitutes two smaller, you know, opportunities to eat, again, might mean something different for you. This is not something meant to destroy your health, but this is something meant in a way to wake you up <laughs> and to, you know, help uh, train you in the face of temptation. You know, I, I compare the practices that we're asked to do at, at Lent, uh, like the calisthenics or the, the exercises that athletes do in preparation for a, a game. Okay, a story I, I like to tell is when I, was in, when I was in college, I went to the Xavier out in Cincinnati. I went there for a couple of years before entering the, the seminary. And, I, and they had a good basketball. They have a good. I haven't. I don't know what they're doing this year. I don't think they're going to be making the, the tournament this year. But when I was out there, you know, last century, uh, their basketball program was really just beginning to come together, and they were, you know, they were they were cracking the the top twenty, and you know, it was a fairly good you know program. And uh, I remember once I was going to class. It was very early in the term. It was probably the first day or first couple of days of the of the term at the end of August. And there they were outside the Schmidt Field House in in Cincinnati there at the, on the campus. And the basketball players that is. And it was before I believe they could have formal uh 
practices because the NCAA has rules on you know when you're able to practice. But a number of the players on their own had gotten together to just do an informal uh, kind of uh, you know practice together, which is permitted. And you know, what were they doing? They were doing wind sprints. They were, you know, they were doing all sorts of things like that. They were doing squats. They were doing kind of calisthenics, uh, but a lot of running, a lot of uh, running and wind sprints and things like that. And the thing is, like, you're never going to do a squat during a game. You're never going to do wind sprints in that way during a game. But you're going to do a lot of running during a game, and there's going to be a lot of having to, you know, stop short and change direction quickly. Uh, that that goes on during a game, and so these you know these exercises themselves you know push ups and sit ups and all that stuff might not uh, translate directly to what happens during a game, uh, much like a musician who practices the scales, you know is going to be doing a lot more than just doing scales when they do a performance. These things are meant to prepare you, so that when the time comes and you you need to perform, you'll have the physical conditioning to do it, or in the case of the musician, the dexterity in the fingers to be able to to play their instrument. And so it is with the spiritual life. If we can, you know, handle these what I think are really small temptations, simple practices, simple temptations, then maybe we'll be better able. To handle the real big temptations when they when they come by, so you know don't don't treat those things lightly. You know, it, 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 you know they're not the be all and end all, but at the same time, I, I wouldn't dismiss them so quickly. So you know, today during uh, mass, uh, the the priest is going to uh, put ashes on our forehead. And he's going to uh, say one of two formula. He'll either say, "Remember that you are dust, and unto dust you shall return," and he or or he will say, "Repent and believe in the gospel." Now the ashes come from the palms from last Palm Sunday. Uh, many parishes will uh, collect them in the weeks before Ash Wednesday and burn them, and that becomes the uh, the dried-out uh, palm branches become uh, the ashes that we use. Uh, sometimes I've, you know, sometimes I've seen, you know, we've burned the uh, back copies of the Magnificat or, you know, things like that because people feel funny throwing away uh, a magazine that has the Word of God printed in it. Uh, but we've used that as uh, as ashes as well. And again, this tradition of, of ash, ashes goes back to the Old Testament. It was always considered a sign of uh, repentance or doing penance, okay, laying in, in sackcloth and ashes. Sometimes the book of Job is mentioned, uh, that you know Job, uh, after all these terrible things happened to him, he, uh, he sits in sackcloth and ashes as a way of uh, trying to atone for the Lord. Uh, to to the Lord, in case he had done anything wrong that may have caused these bad things to happen. Uh, David, after his great sin is revealed and he repents, also sits in sackcloth and ashes as a way of uh, trying to do penance. 
and also he was trying to, uh, you know, do penance on behalf of his uh, the unnamed child that he had with uh, Bathsheba, in hopes that the Lord would spare the child's life. And uh, in Nineveh, okay, in the book of uh, Jonah, the the prophet uh, goes. Uh, to Nineveh and uh, preaches repentance to that city, and the city does repent again with sackcloth and ashes. So ashes is, is the symbol of of repentance, and it is also for us a sign of our mortality. That yes, indeed, you know we are dust, and unto dust we shall return, as uh, the book of uh, Genesis tells us. Therefore, we need to repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, so whichever formula the the priest choo- chooses to uh, use, uh, it's really it, it's a call to repentance. It's a call to return to the Lord, and it's a call to remember that you know our time is short. You know we shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be afraid uh, to contemplate these things not in a morbid way. You know, not in a uh, you know, an Eeyore, oh, woe is me kind of way, but just uh, soberly and alertly and openly that, uh, you know, we could always do a little better. The closer we get to the Lord, uh, the more we become aware uh, that of really how unworthy we are to be near him. Okay, think of Peter when he he's in the boat and he sees Jesus perform this great miracle of the catch of fish. After they had been unable to catch fish all night, suddenly when he tells them to throw the nets over and the the catch comes up and the, the, the nets are almost tearing, and he realizes that he's in the presence of, of someone holy. And he says, Lord, get away from me, I am a sinful man. And Jesus assures him, Peter, I will make you, be not afraid, Peter. I will make you the, a fisher of men. And that's sort of what he does for us. He, he lets us kind of know you're doing well, but you know what? Maybe you're not doing as well as you think you are. And follow me a little closer and allow me to enter into your heart and to purify you uh, even more intensely. So that's really what what those ashes are all about. And as I always, you know, as I always point out, uh, the ashes are an outward sign. They're an outward sign of an interior desire to repent. There can be a problem because you have people who come and they're obsessed about getting the ashes, but then... They go away and they continue to live exactly the way they're living. They really don't understand what the what the ashes are about. They do it because it's a, a tradition. They do it because it's uh, you know a, a maybe culturally, you know, they come from a culturally Catholic place, and so this is what you do. You you get ashes on your head, uh, and what's forgotten about is really what the ashes are about is that it's about this desire to turn back to the Lord, to acknowledge that we are sinners and that we need to return to Him, and that we need to make a good start to these 40 days. Because it is a long 
the 40 days is long, you know, by the, by the time you get to the third week of Lent, you know, maybe those, those sacrifices that we've been making, it can start getting a little tiring. And, uh, you know, we need that kind of, you know, shot in the arm, that wake up call to help us along the way. So I really pray for all of you that this is a good Lent, that this is a Lent that, uh, uh, really makes an impact on your life. You know, we again, I guess going back to the, the you know, whatever sacrifices that we're making, uh, what I would kind of advise us is that don't look at it as, okay, I'm giving up this thing. Okay, I'm, I don't know. I'm giving up Coca-Cola. For Lent. And then on Easter Sunday, I just go back and I just start drinking Coca-Cola again. And, you know, oh, thank God it's over. And, you know, you, you know, scarf down a two liter bottle because you're trying to make up for the 40 days that you, you missed. No, the, the point is, is how have you been changed by the 40 days? Okay, and I'm not su suggesting you shouldn't, you know, go back and enjoy whatever it is that you've you've given up, but somehow, how have you changed? And that it it shouldn't just be about the thing that you've given up, but how is it that the Lord is asking you to trust in Him more, and to allow you allow Him to transform you more? You know, I realize I've gotten to this point. In the talk, I'm actually trying to wrap up, believe it or not. Uh, and I neglected really even to look at the readings. Uh, the readings uh, for uh, today, and specifically the gospel reading, comes from uh, the uh, sixth chapter of uh, Luke, uh, excuse me, of Matthew's gospel. And... Uh, it's from the Sermon on the Mount. And basically, our, our Lord teaches us about prayer, almsgiving, and fasting. And he doesn't command us to do those things, but he takes for granted that we're going to do them. And the, the, the point that he tries to bring out in each case about, about fasting, about almsgiving, and about praying is that we should not do these things to be seen. That if we're doing these things to be seen, if we're doing these things to show off, if we're doing these things to aggrandize ourselves, then you know what? We've already received our reward. That we should do these things in a way that's low-key, that only our Father in Heaven sees really what we're doing. And then he will reward us. And it's a very purposeful, it's kind of an ironic placement of this reading because this is one of the days of the year that, that's most public in which we have this practice that, you know, we literally put ashes on our foreheads and we walk around with, with, this, with this soot mark on our, on our head to, and, you know, to, to show the world that we're Catholic and that we've been to... Uh, you know, we've been to Mass today, or maybe a prayer service. Uh, it's there to remind us, the reading is there to remind us uh, 
of what we're doing this for. We're not doing this to show off. We're not doing this because it's, you know, the thing to do. Uh, we're doing it really because we want to make this 40 days count. And we want to get off to a good start. And we really want the Lord to transform our hearts. And uh, let that be the, really the spirit which, which leads us. And so I am going to end there. I know this has been kind of all over the place, kind of uh, scattershot. I will be back on the weekend. We will talk a bit about the reading for that, uh, for the Sunday coming up, which is the first Sunday of Lent, which is the temptation of our Lord in the desert. Uh, until then, know that I am praying for you. Please pray for me. And, uh, you know, I'll be praying for you in your whatever, you know, promises you've made this Lent, whatever commitment you've made this Lent. Um, and maybe we'll talk, because I know there's a lot I've left out. There's a lot I've left out. And, uh, but, you know, we'll come back to all that uh, the next time. So again, please pray for me. I'm praying for you. God bless and have a great Ash Wednesday. And let's get Lent off to a good start. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye.